Hi, Dave Emery here. This is for the record program number 1218, The Military Matrix. This is being recorded on December 10th of the year 2021. Before we get into the main body of the broadcast, three important points. All of these three links are at the top of each written program description for For the Record and at the top of each Food for Thought post. One of those links will enable you to get these, the 32 gigabyte flash drive with all of my life's work on it up through program 12, for the record program 1215. Uh, that is available for a small contribution to one of the stations at which I work. I get no money whatsoever from that. And please get a hold of that. I am extremely pessimistic. I don't think that we are going to make it as a species. And I think, frankly, it is incumbent on every listener who takes this material seriously to make themselves a repository for the information about what happened to our civilization. And if that seems melodramatic, I hope I am wrong. I don't think that I am. There is the better part of half a century's worth of work on that flash drive. The second link will enable you to subscribe to the comments, most of which are made by our brilliant contributing editor, Tara Fractal, and uh, that is link number two. Link number three will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made of For the Record by sister station WFMU. So if podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program, sister station WFMU is doing just that. Now, the title of the program, The Military Matrix, is an adaptation of the title of uh, some popular motion pictures, science fiction melodramas uh, called The Matrix, and I, I think there were three of them, I may be wrong, I saw part of one of them, but I don't go to the movies very often and don't watch television at all, but a book, a magnificent book called The Complex, subtitled How the Military Invades Our Everyday Lives, authored by Nick Purse, published in softcover by Picador Books, an imprint of Henry Holt and Company, and copyright 2008 by Nick Purse, has part of its introduction that compares the, quote, complex, unquote, uh, the term that is borrowed from President Eisenhower's term, the military-industrial complex that he uh, minted in his State of the Union speech in 1961, just before he left office. In part of the introduction to this book, uh, Nick Purse basically compares the ubiquitous and, in many cases, invisible, at least to the average citizen, role, decisive role, of the military in our lives, this from an economic and existential standpoint. So when I use the term military matrix, that is what I am talking about. This is a magnificent book and a very important book. Uh, if listeners 
thought that some of the numbers that I was uh, relaying in the last program, although the book was published in 2008, so the dimensions of military spending have increased enormously, and yet I think the message that Nick Purse uh, communicates very effectively in this book. And they, it, this book is proof that big things can come in small packages. It is not a long book. It is very clearly written, and yet it packs quite a wallop. Uh, I'm going to present some of the introduction in which Nick Purse compares the military to the Matrix, and then time permitting, and I think we will have some time, I'm going to go ahead and read some other portions of the book simply to give people an idea of how enormous at one level and how uh, ubiquitous at another level uh, the military or really the national security establishment is from an economic and existential standpoint. Uh, in a number of programs, I have referred to a 1940 column by journalist Dorothy Thompson in the Herald Tribune, and in that she interviews some of the economic heavyweights of the Third Reich, industrialists and uh, financiers, and they poo-poo the notion that an invasion of the U.S. would be necessary because, as they relayed, they had formed profound relationships with some very important companies and individuals in the U.S. And in their point of view, economic control leads automatically to political control. And as you hear some of the enormous numbers that uh, the military can bring to bear, and I'm not even talking about the overall military budget, nor its, quote, black budget, unquote, it doesn't get announced, but it is simply apparent that the automatic go-ahead, the green light that is given to enormous military budgets every year by our Congress really does make a lot of sense in the terms of the Dorothy Thompson column and the dynamic which the top German industrialists and financiers uh, basically uh, enunciated, which is that uh, economic control leads automatically to political control. Once again, in the introduction to the complex how the Military Invades Our Everyday Lives. Nick Terse writes about uh, what he calls the Matrix, and what I have termed the Military Matrix, as follows. In 1957, actually he uh, puts it uh, this way, uh, finishing up with the account that he has of the fictional uh, family of Rick uh, the, and Donna and their teenage son Stephen, uh, Nick Terse writes, Rick is, of course, a fiction, but the rest of us aren't, and neither is the existence of the real Matrix. In 1957, the prescient scholar C. Wright Mills pointed to World War II as the moment when the, quote, merger of the corporate economy 
and the military bureaucracy came into its present-day significance, unquote. Mill's identification of a, quote, economic military alliance, unquote, reaching into the halls of politics, science, and technology, and higher education, presaged Eisenhower's 1961 address warning about the growth of a full-blown American, quote, military-industrial complex, unquote. Again, that was in Eisenhower's uh, State of the Union speech in January of 61, just before he left office. Uh, his successor, President Kennedy, never gave his concluding State of the Union message because he was assassinated by the National Security Establishment, of course, on January 22nd of 1963. And uh, once again, referring to Eisenhower's speech. In that capstone speech to the nation, the departing commander-in-chief explained to the American public that the United States had created, quote, a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions, unquote, and that the perils of this new, quote, conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry, unquote, were dire. Warming against, quote, the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought by the military-industrial complex, unquote, he insisted that, again quoting, only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial military machinery, beginning again. Warming against, quote, the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought by the military-industrial complex, he insisted that, quote, only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prosper together, unquote. By the time of Eisenhower's farewell address, the military-industrial complex was already well entrenched in American life, and the public was not up to the task of checking, let alone reversing its power, especially in the Cold War world. Today, it's nearly impossible to imagine the public even considering the task, no less imagining what it would require. After all, even Ike never imagined the emergence of a complex of such epic proportions that it would someday almost entirely envelop American culture. However, the military-industrial complex was never truly confined to the armaments industry, unquote, as Nils and others made perfectly clear. As early as the 1960s, some scholars began to write about a military-industrial-academic complex, unquote, or a, quote, golden triangle, unquote, of, again, quoting, military agencies, the high-technology industry, and research universities. Others focused on the iron triangle, unquote, of military contractors, the Pentagon, and Congress. Still others have proposed such self-explanatory formulations as the, quote, military-industrial media entertainment network, unquote, military industrial entertainment complex, unquote, and military-industrial think tank complex, unquote, or even the, quote, metropolitan 
military complex, unquote. In recent years, commentators have added whole new associated subcomplexes like the security industrial complex, unquote, the homeland security complex, unquote, the cyber security industrial complex, unquote, the surveillance industri- in the surveillance industrial complex, unquote, as well as alive entities like the prison industrial complex, as well as one more time, as well as alive entities like the prison industrial complex, the disaster capitalism complex, and various other adjuncts to and derivations from Eisenhower's now famous formulation. None of these, however, completely describes, let alone captures, the full breadth of the complex as it exists today. Identifying the precise parameters of the complex has proven as difficult as precisely naming it. In Imperial Delusions, Karl Boggs, an expert on U.S. militarism, locates America's new millennium... Uh, beginning again. In Imperial Delusions, Karl Boggs, B-O-G-G-S, an expert on U.S. militarism, locates America's new millennium at the, quote, intersection of globalization and the entrenchment of U.S. economic, political, and military power, a matrix well beyond the question of who specifically is involved in elite decision-making, unquote. Although the word slips by almost unnoticed, Boggs' reference to a, quote, matrix, unquote, is right on the money. In the 1999 sci-fi movie classic of the same name, The Matrix is an artificial reality resembling the Western world at the dawn of the 21st century, created by sentient machines. Humans, who are grown as energy sources and wired into the Matrix using cybernetic implants, are kept in a coma-like state, ignorant of the very existence of the artificial reality that they, quote, live, unquote, in. In explaining the situation to Neo, the movie's protagonist, Morpheus, a leader of a group of unplugged free humans who wage a guerrilla struggle against the machines, reveals, quote, The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us, even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. At one point in his farewell speech, Eisenhower even presaged this point suggesting, quote, the total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, of the conjunction of the military establishment and the large arms industry is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. But only Hollywood has managed to capture the essence of today's omnipresent, all-encompassing, cleverly hidden system of... One more time. But only Hollywood has managed to capture the essence of today's omnipresent, all-encompassing, cleverly hidden system of systems that invades our lives, 
this new military, industrial, technological, entertainment, academic, scientific, media, intelligence, homeland security, surveillance, national security, corporate complex, unquote, that has truly taken hold of America. The complex is connected to everything you would expect from the top arms manufacturers to big oil corporations, as well as numerous government agencies connected to the U.S. Department of Defense and alive entities such as the Central Intelligence Agency and the Department of Homeland Security. But it is also connected to the entertainment industry and the world's largest media conglomerates. It is in league with the nation's largest food suppliers and beverage companies. It supports the most prestigious universities in America and is tied to the leading automakers. This symbiotic relationship is not limited to megacorporations. Thousands and thousands of small-town niche contractors have their hands out as well. In 2004, such lesser lights included Kenny's Liquor of Parkston, South Dakota, and Chickadee's Cajun Chicken and Catfish Restaurant in Winsboro, Louisiana. In 2005, some of the less-than-likely small fry on the going list were the Maxfield Candy Company of Salt Lake City, Utah, the High Sierra Toilet Company of New Braunfels, Texas, the U.S. Toy Company of Grandview, Missouri, but as with Two Keys Construction Company of Springfield, Ohio, Corky's Barbecue of Memphis, Tennessee, and Skip's Sports Equipment of Virginia Beach. In 2006, the, new, the Pentagon payroll also included the New Pig Corporation of North Little Rock, Arkansas, the Spangler Candy Company of Bryan, Ohio, Safari Country Paintball of Luton, Oklahoma, the Colorado Boxed Beef Company of Auburndale, Florida, Gilbert's Egg Incorporated of Forest, Mississippi, and the One-Way Christian Bookstore of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Most striking in this new age of corporate military entertainment meldings are those byproducts of the complex's effort to project a cool, hip image, including military-crafted simulators that have become commercial video games, NASCAR events that feature race cars sponsored by branches of the armed forces, slick recruiting campaigns that use the hottest social networking technology to capture the attention of teens, and involvement with civilian outfits popular with the young, like Starbucks, Oakley, Disney, and Coca-Cola. Just like the fictional Matrix, the complex is nearly everywhere and involved in almost everything, and very few people aren't plugged into it in some way, shape, or form. Above all, as in the movie, most people are hardly aware that this, quote, real matrix, unquote, even exists. Today's military corporate complex is nothing if not sophisticated. It uses all the tools of the modern corporation, publicity, publicity departments, slick advertising campaigns, and public relations efforts to build up the armed forces, which are, of course, its raison d'etre. With an all-volunteer military embroiled in two disastrous wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, the armed forces have had to ramp up advertising, 
marketing, and product placement efforts to attract even more, even more reluctant new recruits. At the same time, those not won over to actual military service are called upon, whatever their feelings about specific wars, to serve in other ways, through their tax dollars, most obviously, but also by working for corporations that fuel the military and are fueled by it, as well as, of course, by ensuring the economic well-being of these firms through their purchases. The high level of military-civilian interpenetration in a heavily consumer-driven society means that almost every American, aside perhaps from a few determined anarcho-primitivists, is, at least passively, supporting the complex every time he or she shops for groceries, sends a package, drives a car, or watches TV, but alone eats barbecue in Memphis or buys Christian books in Hattiesburg. And what choice do you have? What other brand of computer would you buy, or cereal, or boots? In The Matrix, Neo looks at The Matrix's signature code cascading down the computer monitor and asks Cypher, a human who eventually betrays the gorilla band if it always must be viewed in COVID. Cypher replies, Well, you have to. There's way too much information to decode the matrix. You get used to it. I don't even see the code, unquote. This book is intended to decode at least some parts of the real matrix and makes them visible. Think of this book as the equivalent of the matrix's red pill a primer to introduce you to the new world of the military-industrial complex, your world. And uh, there are some things I would point out here. Uh, a part of Eisenhower's State of the Union address that really did not get much publicity was his observation that nothing blunts uh, intellectual curiosity like having a government contract, and he then spoke about, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, the fact that the number of people who had government contracts with uh, what he called the military-industrial complex was leading very directly to a lack of critical assessment of the effects of those contracts and, by extension, the military-industrial complex. Uh, that is something that I have spoken about uh, in recent programs in the uh, year that is almost completed. It applies in a huge, huge, huge way to things in the field of uh, science, in particular, uh, most recently, in the long, long, long series of programs I did about the uh, COVID pandemic, which... I am convinced, and I think I presented uh, very convincing evidence that it was deliberately created, no, not in the laboratory in China, and it didn't, quote, escape or leak, unquote, from uh, a laboratory in China. It was deliberately created here. And uh, one of the things that has really uh, gone unnoticed is the fact that with contemporary technology, once the genome of a mammalian virus is published, it can be synthesized 
from scratch using the CRISPR-9 technology. Uh, ever more sophisticated organisms are being modified or synthesized using that same technology. It could be seen as analogous to a 3D printer. When we resume some discussion of the pandemic, uh, I would note that at the very beginning of the pandemic in this country, just before the lockdown, uh, I accessed in for the record 1111 discussion of a Thai drug cocktail. It was a combination of three commonly available antiviral drugs that had been used by physicians in Thailand very successfully to treat COVID. In fact, one 71-year-old uh, Chinese woman who was gravely ill was sitting up in bed and talking and very healthy within three days of receiving this treatment. News about that treatment just got buried. It went no place. It was basically uh, blacked out by all major American media voices uh, and uh, it uh, basically went down what George Orwell in 1984 turned the memory hole. Uh, very recently, there have been two anti-COVID drugs that have been, anti-COVID drug pills, I should say, that uh, are nearing approval. One of them made by Pfizer, and uh, Pfizer-BioNTech has developed one of the vaccines, and the other is by Merck, a major pharmaceutical company that also has a very strong link to the biological warfare complex in the U.S. Fascinating and possibly relevant is the fact that of the three common antivirals used in the Thai drug cocktail that apparently has proved very effective in treating COVID, two of those three antiviral drugs are used in the Pfizer anti-COVID pill. Uh, there is also a another that is not uh, in the uh, in in the uh, in, 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 the third uh, of the antivirals is not in the uh, Pfizer anti-COVID pill. Uh, one wonders perhaps if that would, would be a useful addition. But certainly I wonder if the blackout on the Thai drug cocktail was in part at least so that those who were, quote, connected, unquote, could go ahead and make a whole lot of money from developing some treatment. Certainly, I think it is interesting and possibly significant that of those three antiviral drugs, Two of the three are used in the Pfizer anti-COVID pill. Whether or not there's a link, uh, I do not know, but it is certainly interesting. In For the Record Program 1136, we took a look at Lyme disease and the evidence that it was developed as a biological warfare weapon in this country is very strong. And in her brilliant book, Bitten, uh, Chris Newby, K-R-I-S, last name M-E-W-B-Y, uh, engaged, she, she gave us the results of a five-year-long Freedom of Information Act uh, suit uh, that sought to get a hold of information about the treatment 
establishment for Lyme disease. When she finally got it, it turned out that not only were the people who profited from Lyme disease, uh, the people who were the, quote, experts, unquote, uh, for assessing it, but it also appeared that the Lyme disease treatment milieu or establishment was charged in part with poo-pooing those who uh, saw more in the Lyme disease epidemic than they wanted them to see. I think we need to ask ourselves uh, whether the military biological complex, the climate term, or the military biological warfare complex, or the military medical biological warfare complex is very much at work around us with things like Lyme disease, COVID, and other things as well. It is an amazing extension of what Nick Purse is talking about here and goes to the nth degree beyond what President Eisenhower spoke about in his State of the Union address. Uh, I also would point out, before we give some examples from the uh, book, The Complex, that a very important book, the importance of it could not be exaggerated, is called Surveillance Valley by Yasha Levine. And he points out not only that all our, our online technologies, our cell phones, our social media, uh, the Internet itself is not... A, some wonderful communication medium that was minted in order to free us from all of the limitations of blah, 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 blah. The internet itself and all of its derivative technologies, social media, its attendant technologies like smartphones, they are all outgrowths of Pentagon projects. The internet itself is the outgrowth of an overlapping series of DARPA projects called Project Agile uh, that, among other things, spawned Agent Orange in Vietnam and whose raison d'etre is counterinsurgency. Again, a very dry-sounding term that is one that, that uh, embraces some of the most lethal and insidious events of the last uh, 50 to 75 years. When one takes Surveillance Valley, again, a consummately important book, uh, and when one takes that book in conjunction with the complex, uh, it really shows us the extent to which the matrix really is all around us. It is a reality. When we basically do almost anything, uh, online or with social media, which are online, of course, or with our uh, smartphones or the many technologies that now intersect with those. You have an app to do this, that, but the other thing, banking, online banking, smartphone banking. Now we're even getting cryptocurrencies. At that, <laughs> mark my word that the cryptocurrency rage is going to lead to an economic collapse uh, of unmatched proportions. It's going to make the Great Depression look like a day at the beach. It is Sooner or later, one way or another, people are going to realize that they're going to learn the hard way, as they seem to have to learn just about everything, that those cryptocurrencies are nothing but computer code. They're not wealth. They're not money. They are computer code. Perhaps the ultimate 
manifestation of not only the matrix, but what uh, Yashar Levine termed surveillance valley. Having worked for decades and lived in that for decades in the uh, much ballyhooed Silicon Valley, it used to be dominated by defense contractors. And then over the decades, uh, various uh, companies, you know, Apple, Google, Yahoo, what have you, uh, Facebook, became the dominant concerns. And so the prevailing perception was that what was military had become civilian. In fact, that is part of the matrix. That is part of the illusion, as Joshua Levine has demonstrated in his consummately important book. Again, Surveillance Valley by Joshua Levine. Because basically, those companies are all in bed with uh, the national security establishment. And one of the things Joshua Levine points out is that the uh, cyber security individuals and institutions who are ostensibly there to protect our online security are in fact in bed with the very forces who would rob us of that privacy. In fact, there is no such privacy. When you are online, you are on public, and there's no way to get around it. You cannot avoid the Internet. People just have to remember that it is a public forum. I'm going to read some sections of the book, The Complex, by Nick Purse, that indicate, uh, again, it's, it's a, a, a wonderful book, a short book. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole book <laughs> into the record online for the record, uh, but some sections of it I think are representative and give us an idea of not only the size of military spending, but uh, the huge, huge role it plays in our society. One of the earliest chapters of the complex deals with the what, what President Eisenhower was talking about when he minted the term the military-industrial complex, and that is the huge military contractors. And in this case, he is talking about Lockheed Martin, uh, that was formed by the merger of Martin Marietta and Lockheed. Speaking of big defense contractors, he writes, Over the years, they have also grown in power and influence, often bending Congress and presidential administrations to their lobbying will, and in some cases, dwarfing the financial clout of various arms of the government itself. For example, from 2000 to 2006, Lockheed Martin received $135.4 billion from the Pentagon, in addition to contracts with the Department of Homeland Security, just the Departments of Homeland Security, Justice and Commerce, the Federal Aviation Administration, and the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, or NASA, among others. In 2005, the Bethesda Maryland-based company's $25 billion in federal contracts exceeded the total combined budgets of the Department of Commerce, the Departments of Commerce and the Interior, the Small Business Administration, and the U.S. Congress itself. Peter Singer, an expert on military privatization, uses such examples to suggest that some defense contractors 
have evolved beyond any conceivable definition of a private business concern. Quote, They're not really companies. They're quasi-agencies, he told the New York Times. That's certainly the case with Lockheed, whose annual sales to U.S. government agencies clocked in at 78% of the company's total business in 2003, 80% in 2004, and 85% in 2005. And again, this book was published in 2008, so the numbers have grown enormously. Uh, one of the things he goes into, uh, that is to say, uh, Nick Purse, is the enormous role of the military in our university complex, bearing in mind that portion of Eisenhower's State of the Union speech that I spoke about that talks about the blunting of intellectual curiosity that is engendered by having a government contract, it is really worth keeping in mind how many government contracts and Pentagon contracts are involved with government research. Beyond that, uh, the universities themselves are in many ways an extension of the military-industrial complex, many of them anyway. Uh, in the military academic chapter called the Military Academic Complex, uh, he notes the following, that is to say, Nick Turris. By 1962, physicist Alvin Weinberg sarcastically remarked that it was becoming difficult to figure out if MIT was a university connected to a multitude of government research laboratories or, quote, a cluster of government research laboratories with a very good educational institution attached to it, unquote. Uh, and that, that is something that is worth uh, keeping in mind. There has been uh, a lot of discussion in connection with the full court press against China and uh, helping to contain China, etc., etc., of uh, China's claim to islands in the South China Sea, over which it claims sovereignty. I would note in passing that the U.S. itself has never signed the United Nations Charter on the Law of the Seas. China, however, has. Uh, China claims and has, in some cases, militarized uninhabited islands, some 28 of them in the South China Sea. Vietnam claims 50 such islands. Uh, on the subject of islands in, for the record, 1195, uh, part of our uh, just-included landmark series on the narco-fascism of Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang, uh, we noted that Diego Garcia, which is a major base for the U.S. military in the Indian Ocean, and uh, one that is illegally occupied uh, in basically uh, with regard to the action taken by Great Britain, which broke that uh, island off from uh, the Mauritius complex and has basically removed the inhabitants from the island to another island. It is totally illegal, and there was something like a 
113 to 6 or 114 to 6 vote in the UN General Assembly, which was then reinforced by a 13 to 1 ruling by the International Court at The Hague uh, to basically have the U.S. and Britain reverse that uh, illegal annexation and military occupation of Diego Garcia. Hasn't happened, I wouldn't hold my breath. Uh, with regard to islands, in a chapter called Global Landlord, uh, Nick Curtis writes as follows. In just three years, during the mid-19th century, the U.S. annexed more than 50 Pacific islands. In all, the U.S. acquired title to at least 100 non-contiguous island territories across the globe. And as with manifest destiny, uh, and, and as with manifest destiny on the mainland, the U.S. military helped to drive the effort. For example, after attempting to purchase Midway Atoll in the 19th century and being rebuffed by the Hawaiian king, the U.S. Navy simply seized control of the isle. The Navy also helped to overthrow the Hawaiian government in 1893. Following its war with Spain, the U.S. acquired even more overseas holdings, including Guam, the Philippines, and Puerto Rico. In 1934, the Navy took control of Johnston Atoll. The military eventually turned it into a storage site for chemical weapons. And speaking of some of the islands that were uh, appropriated by the U.S. after having been captured from the Japanese in World War II. And in 1946, the U.S. military, which exercised total control over the islands, evicted the inhabitants of Bikini Island from their land and made it a nuclear test site, while an out-island off, unquote, off the coast of Inuitok and the Marshalls eventually became a burial ground for radioactive waste. The nearby residents of Roy Namur, this capital R-O-I, capital N-A-M-U-R, were also thrown off their island to make way for a high-tech radar complex. In fact, back in 1984, the Manchester Guardian wrote that the Pentagon had, quote, cleared the inhabitants off nearly every island in Kwajalein Atoll, unquote, and left all 8,000 of them crowded on the tiny 67-acre Ebye Island, that's capital E-B-E-Y-E. Kwajalein is now home to the U.S. Army's hush-hush Ronald Reagan ballistic missile defense test site. In 2001, the New York Times also took a look at the ignored chain of islands that the U.S. military rules as a de facto colony through a series of 15-year renewable agreements. According to the Times, in the place of the simple fishing and farming existence they once knew on their lightly inhabited atoll, displaced Marshallese islanders have been relocated to badly overcrowded islands like Ebge and Emibor, capital E-M-M-I-B-U-R-R, where cholera outbreaks are common and malnutrition is frequently reported, unquote. Point being that as many observers have uh, taken stock of, uh, that is another example of American exceptionalism. Uh, what uh, basically saying, uh, don't watch what we say, uh, don't watch what we do, watch what we say. And uh, the sheer 
dimension of uh, the waste in the uh, Pentagon, and uh, it, it is uh, in some ways uh, beyond belief. Uh, the orbit, the, the lack of an orbit by the Pentagon is uh, something that has been noted by a number of uh, observers uh, in this regard. And uh, the Pentagon has never actually undergone uh, an audit. Uh, it, it has managed to evade uh, that possibility for a long time. And uh, some of the waste that has been uh, cited and the turning again to uh, the complex by uh, Nick Turs. Uh, there was a, a big flap. Younger listeners may not uh, remember the flap about $640 toilet seats that uh, was it made, it made a lot of uh, publicity, got a lot of publicity, I should say, in uh, the 1980s when Ronald Reagan was president. And uh, that is something that not only didn't stop, but has continued. Uh, Nick Curse notes the following. Similarly, in 2007, it came to light that during the previous year, the Pentagon paid another defense contractor $998,798 in transportation costs for shipping two 19-cent washers. This was in addition to, according to the Washington Post, a, quote, 2004 order for a single $8.75 elbow pipe that was shipped for $445,640. A $10.99 machine thread plug was shipped for $492,096, and six machine screws worth a total of $59.94 were shipped at a cost of $403,000 $403,463. The pièce de résistance, however, was found in the testimony of the former food production manager at Halberton's subsidiary Kellogg, Brown, and Root, who told congresspersons that Halberton charged the Department of Defense for as many as a thousand meals a day it never served. That, that began... 10,000 meals a day that were never served. That is, well, it is quite uh, remarkable. And, uh, well, it, 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 it blows the mind, frankly. Uh, it is uh, something that, well, we get, we're told the things are uh, managed uh, very Effectively, but uh, that really is not the way at all, not the way things are at all. And the fact, uh, according to Nick Purse, the Pentagon has never actually been audited. As he notes here, given such expenditures, it's hardly surprising to find out that the Department of Defense has never actually undergone a financial audit. Speaking in 2006, Senator Tom Coburn, Republican of Oklahoma, made special note of the Department of Defense's, quote, inability to produce auditable financial statements, unquote. In other words, 
They can't undergo the quoting Senator Coburn. Again, a Republican from Oklahoma, not some screaming liberal. In other words, they can't undergo an audit, much less, beginning again. In other words, they can't undergo an audit, much less pass one. If the Department of Defense were a privately owned company, it would have been bankrupt long, long ago. In 2004, the department set the goal of undergoing a full audit by 2007. That deadline has not been met and, in fact, has been moved to the year 2016. Americans are being asked to wait a full 10 years before their dollars are tracked well enough for the department to fail an audit. And that seems to be the new objective of financial managers at the Department of Defense, to get to a place where the Department of Defense can actually fail an audit. Passing the audit is a pipe dream for some future date beyond 2016. So when we hear about uh, some of these amazing things, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, again, quoting, $998,798 in transportation costs for shipping two 19-cent washers, a 2004 order for a single $8.75 elbow pipe that was shipped for $445,640, a $10.99 machine thread plug was shipped for $492,096, and six machine screws worth a total of $59.94 shipped at a cost of $403,463, well, it's KV Barbador, and noting that the Halberton charged the Department of Defense, i.e. the taxpayers, for as many as 10,000 meals a day in Iraq that it never served. But that, that adds a special uh, meaning to the term pork barrel, boy, quite a bit. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind, well, we'll, we'll put some more information here as well, uh, and that is going back to the uh, principle relayed by Dorothy Thompson uh, and also uh, what Eisenhower noted that uh, nothing blunts intellectual curiosity like a government contract. If you happen to be one of the vendors that is partaking of some of that largesse, you know, again, $10.99 machine thread plug shipped for $492,096, you know, you'd have to be insane to turn that down. I, I, I suspect a lot of this actually masks funds that were channeled to for covert operations or for weapons or something that were shipped to people in the foreign countries. But simply on its surface, if you are contracting with the Pentagon for a single $8.75 elbow pipe, and it shipped for $445,640, you'd have to be insane to blow the whistle on that. And you are, you would be literally uh, laughing or snickering all the way to the bank. Uh, airline tickets and travel expenses as well. Uh, Nick Turris notes the following. A, GA, a GAO report from 2001 found that the DOD spent more on premium class travel in two years than the total travel expenses, including airfare, lodging, and meals, 
of 12 major government agencies, including the Social Security Administration, the Departments of Energy, Education, Labor, Housing, and Urban Development, and the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. Again, that's <laughs> that's a sun uh, species meatball. And uh, there's also uh, some very interesting uh, statistics on the energy consumption with the recently concluded uh, conference on the environment in Glasgow. Uh, note the following, again, from the complex by Nick Turris. According to retired Lieutenant General Lawrence P. Farrell, Jr., F-A-R-R-E-L-L, the president of the National Defense Industrial Association, America's leading defense industry association promoting national security. The Pentagon is, quote, the single largest consumer of petroleum fuels in the United States, unquote. In fact, it's the world's largest energy consumer, according to Shackman. He's uh, an expert on, on, on uh, energy use for uh, Wired magazine. That alone guarantees the military petroleum complex isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Just some fuel for thought the next time you head out to a Shell, BP, Exxon, or mobile station to fill her up. And uh, again, the, the book is full of examples, uh, not just of waste, but of the pervasive influence of the military, again, in, uh, in every facet of our life. In the program that we did last week, uh, again, I read part of the introduction to the book about a fictional and politically liberal family, uh, the Rick, his wife Donna, and their teenage son, Stephen, and as they go through their day, uh, Nick Turris points out how many of the things they use, from the TV programs they watch, from the computers they use, the computer programs they use, to the uh, clothing they wear, uh, the books they read, uh, the car they drive, the cars they're thinking about driving, everything is produced by a company that is also a Department of Defense contractor. Again, bearing in mind what Dorothy Thompson spoke about in connection with uh, economic control leading automatically to political control and thinking about thinking about the automatic reviews of uh, these enormous Pentagon budgets that sail through Congress with uh, probably without anybody batting an eye. I think it becomes clear why that is the case. Uh, again, if you were one of the contractors who was, uh, again, shipping out a $10.99 elbow pipe for you know, $460,000, however much money that was, You'd have to be insane, or else a saint, to uh, blow the whistle on that sort of largesse. It certainly is something that uh, would be quite an incentive uh, to, uh, again, uh, using Eisenhower's uh, phrase from his speech about the military-industrial complex. That will blunt intellectual curiosity, all right. And uh, bearing in mind that the Pentagon has never actually 
had an audit and that uh, uh, Senator Tom Coburn of Oklahoma, hardly a screaming liberal, pointed out how the uh, Pentagon had managed to evade any sort of basic, uh, literally accounting for what they were doing. Uh, again, from the wording of Senator Coburn. Again, Tom Coburn, a Republican of Oklahoma, not some screaming liberal. In other words, they can't undergo an audit, much less pass one. If the Department of Defense were a privately owned company, it would have been bankrupt long, long ago. In 2004, the department set the goal of undergoing a full audit by 2007. That deadline has not been met, and in fact has been moved to the year 2016. Americans are being asked to wait a full 10 years before their dollars are tracked well enough for the department to fail an audit. And that seems to be the new objective of financial managers at Department of Defense, to get to a place where Department of Defense can actually fail an audit. Passing the audit is a pipe dream for some future date beyond 2016. There's an old uh, song that says, you know, nice work if you could get it, and you could get it if you try, and that certainly appears to uh, be the case with Daimler everything, because the matrix, as uh, Nick Trost calls it, has really moved into every facet of our existence. And just witnessing uh, the myriad of products uh, that are used by Rick and Donna and Stephen in the introduction to that uh, to this book, well, it really is uh, it, it is quite mind blowing. And uh, again, nice, nice work if you could get it. And you could get it if you try, and boy, a lot of people have done just that. And again, at the opposite end of the spectrum, I emphatically encourage people to get the 32-gigabyte flash drive with all of my life's work on it, uh, broadcasts, uh, lectures, written articles. I frankly don't think we're going to make it, and I think that uh, uh, it is really a responsibility that should be grasped by every listener, to at least become a repository, which you can do by getting that flash drive, for the information that will really chronicle the forces that are disintegrating and I think will ultimately end our civilization. I frankly don't see anything that is going to stand in the way of this, and as warmongering becomes, frankly, a, a state of normalcy in our media, I think that, too, uh, reflects, quote, the matrix, unquote. However, we are running out of time, and uh, forgive me, I have a bit of a head cold, feel great, but, you know, a, a bit of sniffle. Uh, this concludes, for the record, program number 1218, Military Matrix. This is being recorded on December 10th of the year 2021. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.